0: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Babylon 5 versus Deep Space Nine. Just so everyone knows, you can follow us on Twitter at B5VSDS9. Uh, For show notes, you can subscribe to our substack at B5VSDS9.substack.com. We're available on all major and most minor podcatchers. Please like and subscribe on your podcatcher of choice. If you have a question about either Babylon 5, DS9, this show, or anything else you'd like us to tackle, then leave a five-star review on Apple Podcast or another podcatcher. Take a screenshot of your five-star review and email the screenshot and your question to us at noticeapatternb5vsds9 at gmail.com, and we will answer your question on the show. We plan to start a Patreon with bonus content in the near future. If you have any ideas of material or stuff you'd like us to cover for bonus episodes, please email us at, again, b5vsds9 at gmail.com. Uh, welcome back to Babylon 5 versus Deep Space Nine. This is Bob from Cascadia. I got Matt from uh, the Southland on the line. How you doing today, Matt?
1: Uh, not doing too well. Uh, I'm going to tail end of some, uh, some bronchial issues, but hopefully I will make it to this episode alive. Yeah, yeah, you sound like death warmed over, but uh, that's
0: your commitment to the listeners. You, you might not be here for uh, episode uh, six, but you're still here
1: for episode five, giving it to the listeners. yeah. yeah.
0: I a good bit
1: of time to watch these shows and uh, get to know the characters a little better. Yeah, yeah. All right. So today we're discussing uh, both uh, the Star Trek DS9
0: episode Dax, which I believe is episode uh, nine of season one, although I have not double checked that. It uh, aired on February the thirteenth, nineteen ninety three. And then we're also talking about episode three of season one of Babylon 5, Born to the Purple, which aired about a year later on February 9th, 1994. Um, Let's see. Matt, did you want to start off with
1: the uh, plot summaries uh, of the two main plots for Dax, such as they are? Sure. Um, Coalition security personnel attempt to actually abduct Jadzia Dax to stand trial for the murder for the murder 30 years ago of a famous general and a good friend of her previous host, uh, Curzon Dax. After authority, that abduction this guy, uh, must try to prove that the, the separateness of Curzon and Jadzia in this, uh, extradition, uh, extradition hearing. You also have to forgive me. I'm on uh steroids right now. So my brain is a bit in the fog, but
0: yeah, I mean, it's a, that's a hell of a thing. Uh, roiding for a podcast, man. Yeah.
1: Roy, <laughs> roiding out for this podcast. Yeah. It's, uh, uh, they're very philosophical episode of whether or not dax and the host the trill host are one and the same being or if they're separate
0: yeah yeah great and we'll we'll talk about this a little more in the conclusion of our podcast episode today but i i did want to f- frame a couple of things first because it's it's really kind of interesting because you've got two different metaphysical questions going in this trial, at least as like Cisco is bringing it up, uh, because the whole thing is the security personnel were trying to extradite Dax. And so but they tried to do it on a Bejoran space station where they don't have uh, any extradition agreements with Bajor and um, Cisco and Kira in a kind of very charming two step, they uh, set up. Uh, they set up a thing where it's like, okay, well, you have extradition agreements with the Federation, but not with Bajor, so we have to do this hearing. And uh, it, I, just as a side note, that was a sort of interesting thing, because, you know, in very recent episodes of the podcast, we saw Kira and, Kira and Cisco not working well together at all, uh, particularly in the episode three of Deep Space Nine, past prologue. Um, there's a lot of tension about, like, the different potential interests of Bajor and the Federation but here you see uh, Cisco and Kira kind of effectively tag teaming um, the security personnel who've come for DAX. So that, that was that was a kind of neat side note, I thought. But the interesting thing was the two metaphysical questions of identity that Cisco raises in uh, the extradition hearing about DAX. And Matt already hinted at some of these. The, the first one is, can you think of Jadzia DAX, uh, DAX and uh, its current host, as morally or legally the same person as Curzon Dax? That is, can like Jadzia Dax be held legally or morally accountable for what Curzon Dax did? And then the second question of identity is, even if Curzon Dax did commit the murder that he's uh, accused of and has a warrant out for, the question is, do you blame the composite entity that is Curzon Dax? Or do you just blame the host Curzon or do you blame the Dax symbiote? And obviously how you answer that question might have some influence on how you answer the first question, but it was just a sort of interesting and com- complicated
1: thing there. Do you have any uh, thoughts on that? Matt? I've watched this episode several times and going back to it uh, for this, probably this is probably the third or fourth time I've seen it. You really get an understanding of just, this is the first time you really get an understanding of how the it's, the symbiote itself, the Dax symbiote, actually is a, a part of the trill, and you know Jadzia gets the choice at a young age on whether or not she actually wants to accept the ho- accept a, uh, a symbiote or not. I thought that was interesting, just beginning to know, knowing that that was her choice to have that done. Um, it's not just something they're like they're forced uh, that's forced upon them upon reaching a certain age. And then you get to know a little bit more about how their memories are combined. She has all the memories of Curzon Dax. But at the same time, everything that she has done up to the point before taking the symbiote, like she learned all these different uh, different types of sciences. You know, uh, she lists a long list. Of them, you remember, yeah, like xenoarchaeology, xenobiology, I think were two of them. Right. She has all of those different... She, she's done all those other things, Prior to taking the symbiote into her, in herself, so she she has a she has a, a a personality and something of her own there. It's not just Curzon Dax inside a different body.
0: Yeah, yeah. There there were two things I kind of wanted to build on that you brought up there that were interesting. Um, the first was the idea that because one of the witnesses, um, the prosecution brings in, even though they're yeah, essentially not a prosecution because it's just a hearing, but one of the witnesses, the prosecution brings in, um, uh, to get Dax extradited is a, is a Trill government minister. And he has this sort of interesting conversation, uh, kind of personal to what you were saying about how the Trills, uh, Trills host and uh, symbiotes aren't joined until the, uh, the host is in their early or mid-20s. And it was like the purpose of that is to allow the host to kind of develop a separate identity and the separate skills that you were talking about, which is a sort of interesting concept. So it's not like a overriding situation. It is supposed to be like a, you know, an actual synthesis. And then the only other thing I wanted to hit on there, which I thought was interesting, was this sort of interesting idea that they do make getting the Trill symbiote like, very much a sort of meritocratic like rat race thing right like cisco really presents jadzia as like this overachiever she's uh you know she's got all these degrees she's you know the best of the best and that's i think that's something it's been a few years but i think that's something that shows up in later episodes that feature the trill too it's not it's not all trill are joined with the symbiotes and getting getting a trill symbiote you know you do have to be like top of the class at the Ivy league school or whatever. So it there is an interesting like kind of rat race component to trying to get a Trill symbiote.
1: I think that later on, I think they do mention that again, future seasons. I know that later on when uh, Ezri tag Ezri. shows up, you get a sense of that as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And like Ezri's interesting precisely because she's a, she's one of the Trill who like never was trying for symbiote. It had no interest, but because of circumstances, she's forced to, to take it on because there's no other, tri- there's no other trills available. So yeah, it's a sort of, it's a sort of interesting span of like the uh, Zia's elite skills and like working her entire life to, to quote earn the Dax symbiote versus it just kind of falling into Ezri's lap.
1: And a cool thing too, about this episode, I was glad we revisited it was that the uh, recent in- inclusion of uh, the trill in Discovery if It acts as like a refresher on what they're about yeah, what yeah, yeah,
0: that's a good point because uh trill characters have been an important part of
1: season three of discovery.
0: And I knew that, but I wasn't really actively thinking about it till you just said it, and I didn't really i didn't I didn't take the time to go back and look at discovery because it's it's been a few months. so if i if I had had the time, slash had remembered that would have been an interesting thing to do. but yeah, it, it is a kind of good setup for. Um, what what Discovery is doing with its couple of trill characters? Yeah, oh, one, well. one one last point I wanted to make. So basically, uh, to keep the spoilers mild, like the sort of trial scenario you're having here is kind of like a long black veil scenario. If people know that old country song, where it's uh, you know Dax doesn't want to doesn't want to exculpate herself, but, or you know himself in the past because uh, doing so would implicate uh, someone else. And so in, in that way, you have a sort of interesting spectacle of like Cisco and Bashir and um, even Major Kira to an extent making this sort of big show at the extradition hearing, like talking about like who and what Jadzia is and who and what the Dax symbiote is. And even though like, there's a plot reason for her to be so passive and to not really weigh in, it does almost give it a subtext of like Zadzia sort of disapproves of how Cisco and Bashir are presenting her case because to make the case to defend her, to prevent her from being extradited, um, like both Cisco and Bashir especially are having to basically argue that like uh, she's morally and legally separate from both her prior host and and from the Dax symbiote itself. And they're really, they're really trying to stress her identity as like, you know, just Jadzia, plain and simple Jadzia. And it seems like that, that might be something uh, Jadzia would probably strongly disagree with. I mean, certainly her like actions in this episode to, you know, remain silent and risk her life in order to protect an old friend. Like that does seem, you know, that does seem to Already say that like even if she doesn't think of herself exactly as Curzon Dax, she still thinks of herself as taking on Curzon's feelings and obligations. Yeah. So I, I just thought that was like an interesting subtext. That um like obviously Cisco and Bashir are working for what they perceive to be Jetzia's best interests, but in so doing, they're they're maybe having to really travesty what she actually is a little bit and like to describe a version of Jadzia that Jadzia
1: wouldn't embrace and and that kind of also raises the question too of like how much control does the symbiote actually have over the host like in that sense she is trying defending someone else from Curzon's past they're trying to keep uh, and it it doesn't I I don't know if if, I'm just trying to put put myself in, in Jadzia's shoes I would probably want to say something but having Curzon there, having Curzon as a part of me it's just completely like I guess would change that. But how much control does that symbiote actually have over the way she thinks and her personality?
0: Yeah. And I mean, I, I think my answer, and again, I'll, I'll, I'll reference that novel I referenced last time A Memory Called Empire, which deals with, um, it's a, it's a kind of cool space opera about an ambassador who's uh, who comes from a space station where personnel is short. So they implant the memories of the prior person who had your job into you. So you can draw on their experience, their knowledge. And the, the emphasis in, of the culture in that space opera novel, Memory Called Empire, is that this isn't like a taking over or a, you know taking control, it's an integrative thing. So the idea is that like, oh, you integrate your, pro- your predecessors in your work. You don't, you're not just like taken over, overwritten by them. And so, in in that sense, I think I would really want to defend the idea that, I, I, I kind of against Cisco and Bashir, that there there isn't a separation of Jadzia, Curzon, and Dax. Like it's one entity that just takes new forms. So in that sense, it, uh, yeah, I, I would argue that I, I don't I don't think Jadzia feels it as a separate thing. If that makes sense. Like I said, I, I don't love that episode, but it, it does raise um, a lot of really kind of interesting philosophical questions. So I'm, I'm glad we got to talk to it, and talk about it, and like you said, it uh, it it gives us good backstory for future appearances of the Trill in Deep Space Nine and uh, even in Discovery Season 3. So let's see, we'll pivot to Season 1, Episode 3 of Babylon 5, Born to the Purple, which uh, again aired in February 94. And whereas Dax was sort of giving us this introduction to Trill culture, even though we already have seen a Trill character in uh, Star Trek The Next Generation, um, Born to the Purple is probably giving us our first big glimpse into Centauri culture through uh, the character of uh, their ambassador on Battle 1-5, Londo. And we see Londo uh, get entangled with a Centauri dancer um, while Commander Sinclair is trying to wrangle him for talks about something with uh, the Centauri's rivals, the Narn, here represented by Ambassador Jakar. And while that's going on in the A plot, in the B plot, we have uh, Chief Garibaldi trying and failing to enlist uh, Lieutenant Commander uh, Ivanova to track down a rogue transmission on a sensitive uh, channel. So what uh, what did you take away
1: from uh, Born to the Purple, Matt? Interesting note, just from the very beginning of the episode, they're talking about the uh, Euphrates sector. Mm. Once again, I don't know what it is with science fiction and like rivers but apparently that's like a common theme.
0: Yeah. Well, it kind of fits into the whole, the, some of the other names of Babylon 5, right? Like Babylon, Euphrates. Right, right.
1: Yeah. yeah. But yeah, they're, they're trying to come up with a Centauri-Narn agreement. And uh, Londo is just way too invested in this uh, dancer by the name of Nadira to be a part of that. You get your first, uh, you get your first look at what Centauri females look like, which is is actually inter- It's very interesting. They're bald, but with a ponytail, which just uh the, the hairstyles for the Centauri are just, I guess, unique. You know, you know, Nadira is actually played by a uh, an actress by the name of Fabiana Guedini, and for those of you, if you need reference on who she was she actually was a lot of the china and austin powers <laughs> uh, the curl that was in the hot tub when uh austin powers decides to break wind and she goes how dare you break wind before me so, <laughs> i knew i recognized her i just couldn't think of her from so i pulled up yeah she was also she was recently in the show jane the virgin which is on netflix but
0: the, the english remake i assume not the spanish original
1: Yes. yes, the English remake, yeah yeah um, but uh, yeah, I mean there this was a, a This is very weird episode um, it's a lot of strange things that are that, that happened that a lot of uh, sexual tension with, with Londo and the Centauri and you learn a lot about the Centauri uh, just how they have a there's a slave class which is Nadira is part of that. She's actually has a master by the name of like Dracus, who looks like uh, the the uh, performer Meatloaf if he was a pimp. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, basically, Dracus wants this purple file that Londo has been keeping, and in that purple file, there's all these different black. There's all these different. There's all this different information that can be used against other people, uh, and he wants to take it. And apparently the uh, Centauri are built upon using blackmail and bribery and all that kind of stuff.
0: So we learned quite a bit about the Centauri Republic in this episode, and it seems to mostly be an oligarchy controlled by a small amount of aristocratic families who uh, compete for status and prestige and power via blackmail and it seems like reputational politics and status um, are a big part of the Centauri power structure. We, we hear Londo allude to that a couple of times. And so it kind of builds in a recipe for a lot of hypocrisy with um, you, know, you sort of back dealing of the elite Centauri families, um, but also like they're trying to maintain like a wholesome patriotic uh, public face. And we also get the sense that uh, the Centauri are a pretty thoroughgoing uh, slave society. It seems like if your family falls from power or if it just didn't have power to begin with, you can wind up enslaved, which is what happened to Adira. So in that way, it's sort of interesting that her uh, sleazy looking meatloaf pimp is trying to use the Centauri slave system against the system, so to say. But yeah, so it's kind of like with uh, the episode Dax and Trill culture, we get we get a kind of interesting start at a look into uh, the Centauri culture here and then um another notable thing that came up is we get introduced to two new characters we get in, introduced to the assistants to the uh, ambassadors so we have veer as the assistant to ambassador uh, londo and then we have uh, kodath as the assistant to um, ambassador jakar and it's interesting like um veer is going to continue to be in somewhat important part of the show, or at least a regular part of the show from what I've seen. And then on the other hand, apparently the actress who played Kodath just really hated the makeup required required to play the Narn character. So uh, she gets replaced by a different Narn aide, I think in the very next episode. It is, they, they both, both at least the functions of the assistant to the Narn ambassador and the assistant to the Centauri ambassador. And indeed, um, the assistant to um, the Minbari ambassador will continue to be uh, an important part of the show. Did you have any thoughts on Veer or uh, Kodath,
1: Matt? They're both just comical characters, honestly. Just the, with the teeth from uh, the Narn character. Um, just, you know, she's always showing her teeth when someone says something that she disagrees with. And <laughs> uh, then you had the Centauri character. Say his name again one more time. It's, the Veer. It's- veer there we go veer i'm trying to try my best to keep up with everybody veer at one point he keeps playing this electronic game uh <laughs> and it's it's so it's so bad too because i recognize the game from my childhood it's actually uh aladdin from the oh, tiger wow. electronics thing uh <laughs> and they you can actually see the you can see where they like just glued stuff onto it
0: yeah to, like yeah. making
1: sure they could cover everything up it's just it was funny but yeah he's they're, he's very childish i guess Is what they're trying to go for but uh, yeah
0: yeah definitely kind of playing up uh him as being like immature and in, unexperienced or inexperienced excuse me yeah and then um we didn't there wasn't much to say about the b plot of the episode but i did want to ask uh, particularly since um Uh, Lieutenant Commander Ivanova's backstory in uh, episode two seemed to be really interesting for you. I was just sort of curious uh, if this uh, final conversation with her father, like, did that add anything to your sense of Ivanova as a character, where they're going with the, you know, her history with her mother as a telepath?
1: Yeah, I mean, add another layer because I guess her father disagreed with her joining the Earth Force from the get go. But you know, with, with, with this episode, you find out that he's actually extremely proud of her, and um, he, he admits he was wrong. Although I wasn't really, I, I like the beat the B plot. I like the whole thing that happened. But Garrett Garibaldi, his response at the end bothered me. Uh, he says, uh, "I just couldn't really tell if he was being uh, nice about calling what was going on a computer error." And when he says that it won't, but it. But he implies that it won't happen again. I mean, did you, how did you feel about that? Like,
0: uh, so to answer that, I guess I'll say it's something that's kind of interesting about Babylon Five in general. Is it just seems like, unlike Star Trek, in the world of Babylon Five, like scarcity is a much bigger deal. Like, we'll we'll see this um, in a couple of, a couple episodes I think that are coming up soon in season one of like characters having to pay a lot pay a lot of money to get like certain food or certain liquor shipped in um we sort of saw that i think in the the tv movie the gathering um where the prior exo lieutenant commander takashima is like illicitly growing coffee um i can't remember if it's in in her quarters or in like the botanical gardens but she's like kind of you know gives some to dr kyle but it's like telling him to keep secret and so just in general it's like it seems like Babylon Five uh, as universe, as far as I can tell, still does seem to operate on some sort of you know recognizably capitalist logic, but it also just seems to have a lot more like resource constraints and you know shipping things out to this the station Babylon Five is hard, like getting the energy for certain transmissions is hard, and so just that that context of scarcity in Babylon Five is interesting, whereas in deep space nine like and the rest of the you know the 24th century star trek at least like the implication is that the replicator can you know handle everybody's basic needs and quite a bit of their basic luxuries as well so it just to me it just kind of pivot that points to like the sort of two different economic and political contexts of the different shows
1: for anyone confused about what we're talking about uh basically Ivanova is using a a uh she's making a long distance call in yeah it's like you want to go early 90s yeah and, uh, she's using what's <laughs> called the gold channel uh to talk with her father who is on earth garibaldi is trying to figure out who's making these calls <laughs> yeah and uh the bottom is running up the phone bill for the station <laughs> of course it's like the other thing too is after After this conversation, after Garibaldi actually, Garibaldi listens to the conversation, he immediately asks her to go out for a drink. I'm like, what what, really? Like, I mean, I I don't want to spoil the, I don't want to spoil it, but I mean, I mean, that's just like, doesn't, it it doesn't resonate with me.
0: Yeah, I I think
1: it's supposed to be more
0: of like a friendly drink, like let's go out for a drink, you're my friend, you had a hard thing, I want to support you, but yeah. given that Garibaldi is such like a horn dog, like, right, yeah, it, it can kind of read more as like, a, oh, well, I've got one on you, and so I'm going to suborn you into this, and that, yeah that's, yeah, that's pretty, That that is pretty sleazy, which actually <laughs> does, speaking of uh, 90s sleaze, it does pivot us into what will probably be a regular feature on the show, which is a horny watch. Uh, So uh, who's thirsting for it on Babylon five and DS nine this
1: week. So yeah, after watching so many several episodes of these shows, you you realize that there were just so many horrible, just sexual remarks made by the male characters to women. They just, they come out of nowhere. So we decided this is probably something we want to, we want to point out. Uh, how TV has changed today compared to what it was in the nineties. So this is what comes out of, of Dr. Bashir's mouth in like the opening parts of the episode. He's talking to Dax. They're discussing some issues with the replicator and he says, I can think of better ways of keeping you up better than Klingon coffee.
0: Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's rough.
1: And at, yeah, at least like, we
0: do, at least we are uh, treated to the repeated spectacle of Bashir getting shot down in the episodes we've seen like Dax and right. Shira both shoot him down in the pilot um, his his attempt to woo the Bajoran woman and um, I believe that was in Q-less or no maybe it was past prologue don't go anywhere his attempts to woo Bash don't go anywhere thanks to Q so at least we yeah. do get we do get Bashir shot down but yeah it's a uh, it's pretty cringe
1: and then uh, the Narn the female Norn is literally on the show for like 10 seconds and this random guy just comes up to her and goes, uh, let's blow this joint and play a little Scan the Sector. <laughs> Which, I mean it's just bad just yeah
0: bad. yeah a lot um, of really a lot of really bad uh pickup creepy. lines that either border on or go into uh, sexual harassment yes uh, yeah not great not great although it, it is sort of interesting that we're continuing on uh ds9 to have the sort of like low-key bashir quart uh dax triangle uh you know one of the reasons that the security forces don't succeed in kidnapping um Bashir is that Bashir was being a creep and trying to meet up with Dax again right and then also like Odo uh attempts although uh, he unsuccessfully but he attempts to kind of use Quark's uh feelings for Dax to uh to pressure him into using uh, Quark's <laughs> bar as the, the site
1: for the hearing since it's the only place suitable on the station for a hearing Yeah, that was the event was so odd. Like, there's no conference room or anything on the station. They could have this thing in. They had to, like, clear out Corksburg.
0: I mean, in a weird way, it's a sort of nice homage to, like, old Western movies. Like, if you watch a if you watch like an old John Ford, John Wayne, Western, I'm thinking like particularly like the band who shot Liberty Valance from 1962, you'd have this thing where it's like, you have to turn the bar into a courtroom because it's like, you're on the frontier. You don't have many buildings. You don't have like a designated like courtroom or designated city hall yet. So in that way, it was a kind of nice kind of nod to that sort of tradition in, in, uh, in Western films and movies. I think they do that in Deadwood too. If I remember right after, while Bill Hickok gets shot. They hold the uh they hold the trial in uh, the gym which is uh Al Swearingen's uh saloon and brothel on the show.
1: Does it have something to do with the Cardassians, though like the way they run things that maybe they oh, just don't have to, have to set up
0: Yeah, that's a good point. Because the I thought about that, the Cardassians are such, um, you know, such a authoritarian, um, you know, sort of state power oriented people that, yeah, they don't really have the need to build like, large public rooms, right, where you could have like, a hearing or a trial or, you know, know, any sort of like, you know, like station meeting, like, that's just not something in the in the kind of Cardassian character to do because of the way they structure their society. Yeah, that's a good point, that's a good point. Nice, nice. Um, so with uh, with Thirstwatch uh, concluded, I think we wanted to kind of close out by talking a little bit about how we could connect this, uh, this episode to some other famous uh, Star Trek episodes um, with legal proceedings. Uh, I think we were specifically thinking of um, The Drumhead uh, from 1991, which is a Next Generation episode about kind of like paranoia and McCarthyism and witch hunting. And then there's a later Voyager episode from 1996 called Death Wish, where Q2 is petitioning Captain Janeway for his uh, right to die. You know, he's tired of being an immortal being. He wants a a right to die. And then I think most directly, and this is something we both jived with, is that Dax, the episode seems to be trying to imitate uh, the the Next Generation episode, Measure of a Man from 1989, which, I mean, in some ways, if you wanted to be really harsh, like Measure of a Man is like the first good Next Generation episode. It comes maybe midway in season two. And I think it's the first time you really get a sense of like, oh, this show could be something. It's not just this kind of unfortunate retread of the original series. But I don't know I don't I don't think we even though I think we thought the connections were interesting I don't think we really thought that uh, the episode Dax measured up to the episode measure of a man did you want to weigh in on that some Matt?
1: It, it, it didn't measure up as well to measure uh, to, to measure of a man uh, while there were still some of the, the the philosophical implications there I just didn't it it, it, re, it really made you think, both of of course really make you think about you know sentience and how it how it you know what is considered sentient, and all that kind of stuff but i i, I think measure of a man covered it much better and i agree with you i agree with what you said earlier that i think measure of man is probably the first episode of uh, of the next generation where you do say okay this is something i can get behind um you know this this is this could this show could be something more than what it what it's what it's done to this point um and we see that in further episodes there are much better episodes in next gen later on that kind of follow through with that
0: yeah and i think to me the like the big difference between measure of a man and dax um, is that in measure of a man like you're dealing with like the philosophical status of data who's like a unique being right like they're there aren't really any other uh, Zoom-type androids like him or, like, you know, the ones they are, like Lore or um, Before 4 or later, kind of, like, very different than Data. So, like, you're dealing with, like, Data's legal rights in that episode almost as, like, a singularity, whereas <laughs> it's kind of weird, even though, like, you can appreciate why you would want to use the courtroom thing to introduce, like, the concepts of the Trill and... You know the sort of join join consciousness. You can see why you'd want to use that as a form to introduce it to the audience, but it just doesn't make as much sense because it's like trills are like members of the federation, right? Like they're they're Jadzia Dax is not the only example of a Dax uh, a Dax host. Like surely other Dax, you know surely other conjoined trills right. have been murdered. <laughs> like
1: right, there's surely like be laws in place. Like I agree, yeah. Like this is not something. You know, brand new. It's not a brand new species or anything. This is something,
0: yeah, people
1: have been around for a while. Yeah.
0: So, and on that level, it's just it, it's a I think a bit more unsatisfying. Where I mean, you can maybe make the same complaint about Measure of Man, which is like you know, data's been in Starfleet for yeah you know, something like fifteen years at the time that episode takes place. Like, shouldn't they have figured this out before now? Sort of thing. It. I don't know. I, I feel like it's more pressing and in Dax and it's also just it's a little frustrating because it's like you basically get um the Bajorans and the humans and the other species whose name I'm blanking on like arguing over what the Trill is or are and you don't like you have two Trill characters like both the minister from the government and you have Dax um and they don't really ever actually very much say like how they think of themselves and so in that way it's sort of frustrating right you would think that I don't know you would you would think like the trill would pretty much have like a pretty easy stock response for this you know whether that would stock response would help or hurt Jedzia. I'm not I'm not exactly sure but
1: right and I, and I think doesn't one of them say that they've been through eight different I, I don't know what the right, right word is but eight different cycles eight hosts like eight, eight hosts yeah they've been through eight hosts so like, I, I mean, you would you're right. You would think they would know at that point because there's at least probably roughly like 800, year, close to 800 years there of uh, just for that one character that we don't know much <laughs> other than anything else about.
0: Yeah, because I, I think I can't remember the number of prior hosts of the Dax symbiote, but maybe it's six. And I think I know we're, we're, we're very specifically told that the Dax symbiote is 600 years old, I think about 600 and then yeah that minute the minister it seems like he might may, might be a bit older than that still um yeah
1: i think it was eight, but uh, this seems like a long period of time for them not to be able to just define what what's going what they are yeah and one what, what other like, thing um, i
0: think I, I think is an kind of interesting connection but also maybe kind of a, a failure of the episode dax a little bit is in that point I was making early about Cisco, where you could see the case he's making to defend Jadzia might in some way discomfort Jadzia. Um, You could almost compare that with the way in Measure of a Man, like Riker is forced to be the one arguing against Data's rights as a sentient being, where it's, you know, it's not his choice, but he's he's been conscripted or drafted into doing it. And so there's a sort of interesting parallel there with, you know, even though Cisco is you know doing a much more uh positive thing, like that sort of disconnect of like having to kind of betray your friend a little bit is that's a tension that's present in both episodes. Although I think ultimately that's the other reason Dax doesn't work as well as Measure of a Man as an episode is that in Measure of a Man, you have Picard and Riker going against each other as the lawyers, Mm -hmm. which is much more interesting than Cisco going against, you know, this random guy who's way too personally involved in this
1: case from the alien world. So let me ask, let me ask you this. If like they didn't write the ending the way they did and there wasn't that, you know, that last bit of evidence that comes into play do you would you blame curzon uh and what would you have done what would you have decided um if you were I, bench? I think the answer has to be that
0: um you i think the answer has to be that curzon dax is only liable for the murder as long as curzon dax is an entity and when when Curzon Dax ceases to be an entity and it becomes you know a Jadzia Dax or an Ezri Dax or a Harry Dax or you know whatever, like I don't think you can justify holding the new even though I even though I'm an, I think I'm a big proponent of there is no separate Jadzia there is no separate Curzon they once they are joined they're joined but I don't, I still don't think you can hold the new entity created by the joining legally or morally responsible for the for the crimes of an old an old uh, an old host. And we're we're gonna sort of see this again with the Dax Symbiote. I, I don't remember the details precisely, but it's gonna it's going to come up again. And it seems like it seems like it sort of go in that episode, if I remember, it's like, I think it's the host who does the who does the crimes is blamed, not the Dax Symbiote itself it'll be interesting to revisit that future episode in the light of this. Cause it may be, I don't know. It may, maybe, maybe there's, maybe they
1: align or maybe there's some tension. I agree. Um, yeah. Once I, I feel like once the symbiote left Curzon was placed into, the, into in the Jadzia, it, it was a, there's no liability there.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I'm also, this is maybe a fraught thing, but like, I'm a big believer in statue of limitations, potentially even for murder. Like, I mean, if like, you know, a a 30, 40 year old murder, that's eh. (laughs) like, that's a, that's a, that's a little fraught to my mind. I, you know, I mean, obviously one does not want to encourage murder or people
1: getting away with murder, but (laughs) I feel like it would be different too, though. If like, let's say if the Dax symbiote, if, Curzon went and, and, and committed the crime, and then immediately switch host. Yeah, that would be something different. But I, I don't that I don't think that's that's not a possibility. It's not like, it's not like Venom and Spider Man. It's not like you know, yeah. you know you latch to someone else and it would be like that. It's a much more complicated process. I think that's a good counter
0: example. But I, I would, I would respond that I still don't think the new host could be held legally responsible. But I would, I would say, though, that there is a second issue, which is the issue of how much the new host does present a danger to others. So, like, if, you know, if Curzon Dax had done the murder and the Dax symbiote was some, in some sense unrepentant and there were, there were clear and concerning signs that, like, the new host, like Jad Dax, might kill again, I, I think that's a different issue to me. So it's like, I would want to, I think there's, you know, I think there's the issue of like legal and moral responsibility, which I think the new DAX host, I don't, I I don't think you can hold them to that. But then on the other hand, there is the issue of like, would this new entity pose like, you know, a present danger to people in society. And that's a, that's a sort of separate question and not to be adjudicated separately from whether they're responsible from the, for, for the original murder. What are we looking at next week? Oh man, I honestly don't know. I think, uh, Is it the Nagus episode uh, for Deep Space Nine? Is that up next, I think?
1: Next week, we're looking at Nagus and Infection.
0: Great, great. Well, looking forward to talking with you then, Matt. Um, This has been uh, Bob from Cascadia, and I got uh, Matt from the Southland on on the line, and this has been uh, Babylon 5 versus Deep Space Nine. We'll see everybody next time.
1: Thanks for listening. Remember, you can follow us on Twitter at b 5 vsds 9 uh, for show notes, subscribe to our substack, b5vsds9.substack.com. We're available on all major and most minor podcatchers. Please like and subscribe on your podcatcher of choice. If you have a question about either show or anything else you'd like us to tackle, leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or another podcatcher. Take a screenshot, email that screenshot to us with your question at b5vsds9 at gmail.com, and we will answer your question on the show. Uh, We plan to start a Patreon with bonus content in the near future, so if you have any ideas of stuff you'd like to see for bonus episodes, email us at b5bsds9 at gmail.com.